and welcome to the Infinity Bros Podcast, the only podcast that is perfectly balanced as all things should be. My name is Infinity Bro Isaac, and I have one other fellow Infinity Bro with me. It is Robbie Sauter. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Hope you're doing well. I'm happy to be here. And we are recording at Friday at 2 p.m. Central right now. This is weird recording when the daylight is happening. Usually we're an Infinity Bros After Dark exclusive podcast, but uh, mm-hmm. right now we're uh, recording an afternoon episode and hopefully we'll have this episode up within the the weekend so you guys can sprint to hear our thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Before we get to that, uh, Robbie, you just got done watching it, correct? Yes, uh, an hour ago. How was watching a movie at 10 a.m.? Uh, it was weird. Uh, you'll, you'll have to hear my thoughts on it on our TikTok plug, plug, plug. I, I got there and I was like, did I put the wrong like theater in? Cause there was six cars in the parking lot when I, when I showed up. So I was really concerned. I was like, did I like do the wrong one? Are they even open? Uh, went in, there was like eight people that actually showed up to watch the movie. Um, and four of them were in like one group. So it was really weird. I just happened to have the day off today because, uh, it's like our, the school's spring random break or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was an experience, but it was kind of nice. Cause you, I just, once I was done, I came out, I was like 1230 when got some lunch. Like it was, was kind of nice. Yeah. Got the whole day ahead of you. Got the whole day ahead of me. I know. And so I went last night, uh, Thursday night and 9 PM showing when I bought the tickets, I was not the first one to buy tickets, but we were two of only like five tickets that were purchased. That's so that's weird. That's more. That was like a week ago. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm sure a lot more people will show up. We get there and we like, you know, I was expecting more people, but there was maybe like 10 people in the theater, 9 PM on a Thursday night showing. And so I went, I went, we got there a little bit early. We went to the, to the bar and I got a beer, which is fantastic that there's, there's bars in movie theaters now. Absolutely love that. Got a beer at the bar and the manager um, was the one that served me. He said he'd been working and this is a small town, like local theater, Waconia. And Mm -hmm. just the dude's been working there forever. Like he said, since like 96, and I was like a little curious. I was like, there's like nobody there. I was like one of maybe like four people in the lobby on Thursday night, Ant-Man premiere. Mm. And I was like, are Thursday night premieres like a thing anymore? Like, are you guys even busy on Thursday nights? And he was like, no, actually Friday nights is our big like premiere night. That's so, that is so wild. We talked about this a little bit. Yeah, we, we talked about it in the group chat, but like midnight premieres were like so big when we were in high school, especially that was like. That was like the thing I feel like, like cool movie comes out, go check it out at midnight. It's, it's like, I was telling you guys when I went to dark night in my small, like hometown local theater, the whole town was there. Like it was packed. Right. And, but that was the days before you, you know, picked your seats when you bought them. So you had to show up early to get good seats. And so like everybody was, there. it was an event and it's just not like that anymore. No, the late night movie event is not a thing anymore because I I was just going to say, like, I went to the Dark Knight Rises when I first it was my first week moving to Waconia and the Dark Knight Rises just came out. And I went with a few of the other football players that we played with 
and it was like it was packed the line was going out the door like yeah. and you were in line for a good amount of time it was such a cool experience and then like i remember in college we used to go all the time and you just you had to go at midnight if you wanted to be the first ones to see this mm-hmm. but now that's just it's just it's a thing of the past unfortunately because now they have now they have early times like it used to be like it, it was like okay it's 12 o'clock and that's when you can go then right. it got pushed to like oh it's 10 o'clock you can go now it's it's like a normal movie right. night. Now like it doesn't matter what like, time you If go. you've got a big movie theater, you've got times on Thursday almost to like noon All day. on yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Like just yeah, it's it's just different. It's not an event anymore, which is it's a little sad. I think I think you know you want to talk about the movie theater industry dying. I think that's that's a part of it. Like cause that used to be like the experience. Right. Like if you wanted to be early to go see a movie. And it's not really the theater's fault. It's just like how society has gone with streaming yeah. and COVID and you know, all the things that have happened in the last like, you know, five plus years. But and they they're just trying to adapt to basically still make money and stay in business. You know, they like started getting these recliner seats and now they're mm-hmm. like, they charge more money for those recliner seats, which makes sense. you know, all that good stuff, but it's just like, man, people don't show up. People don't show up anymore. A little sad that those events are, are gone. It'd be, it'd be cool to somehow get those back. I don't know how you would do it. I'm not a business mind, but well, just, just wait. Eventually it's going to go to Wednesday night premieres. I've yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. Like it's just, they're gonna go to a Wednesday night twelve o'clock premieres, so then you beat all the Thursday night people. Like, right? Just, just because right because you're right because once you go that route, there's no going back. Like they've already you can't just go like okay, there's not gonna be showings now at seven o'clock on a on a Thursday. You can't go back now. So now you got to go to Wednesday. Yeah, just keep getting earlier and earlier, and then you're gonna get some rogue theaters that are like. We're releasing this show a week before because <laughs> nobody else will. <laughs> now it's on Tuesday at 10 p.m. <laughs> oh, man. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you've never listened to the Infinity Rose podcast before, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, theinfinityrose.com, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch. Man, so many things to list now. I got to like keep a, keep a sticky note up of all the things we're on. Uh, check us out all over the place. Um, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Uh, you can join our discord to talk about stuff on a daily basis. All of the nerd stuff that we love to chat about, including Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. You ready to do this, Robbie? Let's get in to all the ants, all the ants, Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania came out today, February 17th technically yesterday I, you know they still say that they still say that the premiere date is friday even though yeah. it releases on thursdays these days i'm not sure why that is but anyways today february 17 2023 scott lang hope van dyne along with hank pym and janet van dyne explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible We're going to keep it a little bit spoiler-free for just a few minutes here, but we'll have our official spoiler warning a little bit down the road. For those of you guys who are not familiar with the Infinity Bros podcast, we rate things on a very specific scale, so we'll put that bumper right here. Here on the Infinity Bros podcast, everything is ranked from a 0 to 6 point scale. 0 meaning horrible, and 6 meaning absolutely excellent. If all of the Infinity Bros rank something a 6, it gets an infinity snap. 
the top cast for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Scott Lang, Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym, Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, Jonathan Majors as Kane the Conqueror, Catherine Newton as Cassie Lang. We're going to talk about a lot of these characters in a little bit. But first, I want to get from you, specifically, Robbie. The world is focused on you right now and what you thought of oh, wow. and the Wasp Quantumania. Just uh, broad strokes, non-spoiler review, and then a rating at the end. Tell us what you thought. It's so hard to do broad strokes and not get into spoilers, I feel like, with this one. But this movie is probably not as good as it should have been, which is is kind of a, a, a disappointment, I would say. I do think there is the makings of a sci-fi epic in this film that I think people should go for. If you like just sci-fi stuff in general, this movie is great. It has a lot of fun, interesting characters and creatures and, and like space type stuff, even though it's technically not in space. Um, and it definitely gets you going somewhere else in the MCU. Uh, it's just not as good as it should have been. Unfortunately, do you want a rating right now? You want a rating now or later? Yeah, let's hear your rating. Let's hear it. I'm going to give Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum manium a four out of six today. And this is after about an hour seeing the film. Just fresh, um, fresh, just thoughts fresh thoughts. And it kind of came down to four. It was like 4.5 or four. And it, it was Max's 4.3 that made me go four. Cause I think Max probably enjoyed this more than I did. So I had to give him the benefit of the doubt and go with four. Yeah. So if you want to hear Max's review, you can check that out on our TikTok or on any of our social platforms. He gave a pretty concise non-spoiler review. Honestly, I, I feel like he did a really great job of, of summarizing his review. So make sure you go check that out. He gave it a 4.3, right? Is that what yes, you said? 4.3. 4.3 out of six. So um, that's Max's thoughts. And for me, I, I thought this was a fun, weird, wacky addition to the MCU. It definitely felt like an Ant-Man movie. And at the same time, it didn't feel like one. Mm-hmm. Like you got kind of the classic Ant-Man comedic drops but at the same time, there were some pretty serious parts that they blended fairly well. Um, by no means a masterpiece. This is not a top 10 Marvel movie, maybe not even a top 15, but it's not as bad as people are saying it is. Um, it, it was fun. It was a fun movie. I think it's better than a lot of the phase four movies that have been, that have been dropping. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to no, And I, I think I was on the, I was on the love and thunder cast with Mark Jones, our fellow infinity bro, who his rating scales all over the place. It's all over the place. He gave, he gave love and thunder a 6.9 out of six, which is, I gave it a five out of six at the time. And now I think I got to bump that down because I like quantum mania better than love and thunder. I'm going to give Quantumania a 4.7 out of six. I don't generally like doing the The points decimals besides like half, like I'll do 4.5 type of stuff. But man, I I was, I put it on my litter box um, list of film, like Marvel films. 
and I was trying to place where I where I have it on my list, and I was like, I liked it better than so many more of the Phase Four movies, but I don't know if I can give it like a five. I couldn't give it a five. I I just was like, it's just not good enough to get up to that level. So four point seven is where I landed on it. It was fun. It was a fun, weird, wacky movie. And if that's what you're going for, definitely go see it. I mean, it's like a must see for, for Marvel fans. And like you said, it's got some good sci-fi stuff in it too. So a lot of fun. All right. So I I, got to ask you this then. Okay. So can we just, I want to go through the phase four movies and I want you to tell me if you like it more than them. I will. I can. I mean, I can tell you the ones that I like. Well, let's go. I'm just going to name them. You go, you go go better better or worse. Black Widow. Better. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Worse. Eternals. Better. Spider-Man No Way Home. We know that one. (laughs) 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 Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Better. Mm. Thor Love and Thunder, like you just said, better. Better. And then Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Better. You like you like Ant Man better than Wakanda Forever. I and I'm not I, and I I'm not a big Wakanda Forever fan, but I think that'll get people like really concerned about your. The more I thought about Wakanda Forever, the more I was like, oh man, this just doesn't measure up to Black Panther. You like you liked out of all of us that went to Wakanda Forever, you really liked it the first night, right? And I I would still give uh, Wakanda Forever. I think I'd give it a four point five. Like I think it was solid. I don't think it was better. Like my, my MCU scale, I don't think there's a, a movie in the MCU that I have worse than a 3.5. Like I like all of the MCU. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're, you're really getting into, you know, cutting layers down when, when you're getting into this. So yeah, it's, it's better than Wakanda forever. Mm-hmm. Not by much, but interesting better. that I do find interesting. See, I put it in like the Eternals, Doctor Strange, Thor: Love and Thunder. I think it's it's, it's all around there. Black Widow's the worst. Black Widow is the worst MCU movie, in my opinion. Um, it's mm. it's right down there with Thor: The Dark World. I think I got to rewatch Dark World and a lot of those earlier Marvel movies again to compare them with the Phase Four movies because mm-hmm. Mar- Black Widow was bad, but it's not as bad as I remember those older ones being. But that could be that could be just like I haven't seen them for years. So it could just be like I don't remember them that well. So I need to do like a whole rewatch. Yeah. Sorry, I missed one. Werewolf by Night. Uh worse. Werewolf by Night was really good. I, I think yeah, I, we really liked Werewolf by Night. I think Night. I actually have that one on my top ten. Yeah, it's up there. It's it's a borderline top ten Marvel film. It's that one's really good. That's interesting. Uh, that yeah. clip so it. There you go. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's my <laughs> phase four rankings as compared to Quantumania. Rankings. So there you go. Rankings. <laughs> Did I say rankings? Is that like I said rankings? Rankings. I don't know. <laughs> Just didn't hear the silent N. That's all. <laughs> All right, guys, we are going to get into spoilers from here on out. So here is your official spoiler warning. This is. Prepare yourself. At Infinity Bros. Prepare yourself. Spoiler. Warning. Max has a way that 
he likes to review things. And I thought that might be a good way to plod through this review as well. So we're going to talk about this movie by the characters. And the first one I want to dive into is Cassie Lang, who is played by Catherine Newton. Mm. Um, She is a new actress to the MCU. She replaced her counterpart um cassie lang counterpart from infinity war i think is the last one or endgame technically she was she was in endgame, yeah she was yeah. in endgame she replaced the actress that played her in that movie and i'm not sure why but we're gonna get into that here robbie what did you think of Catherine newton playing cassie lang i don't think it was a great performance i but i don't think that the writing that they gave her was great I think she did the best that she could with what she was given. She had a lot of really weird, like one liners that I think were more the writing's fault than her fault. She was just delivering them because she's a young actress. Like she doesn't have the right probably yet to just make up her own lines. So the writers just gave her material and she just like read it. And there wasn't really anything else behind it. Um, I know Max was very critical of her in his review, but I don't I don't put as much blame on her as I do the writers, because I know we've talked about Jeff. Well, we might talk about Jeff Loveness, who wrote this, uh, the Rick and Morty uh, writer. Mm. But there was just like some some one liners that they decided to give her that was just like, oh, it's like that didn't that didn't land very well. That was kind of meh. And so I don't know. She's. Hopefully, we're going to see more of her, right? Because we got to think Young Avengers is coming. She's going to be part of it. They're not just going to ax her. Like, they obviously see something they really like about her. So we're going to see more of her. They made a point to introduce all these young characters and made a point in this movie specifically to highlight her. And moving forward, we're going to see a lot of those characters down the road. So, yeah. And they they made a specific casting choice with, with her. And yeah. I don't know if I can really see why in this movie. Like it again, I think I agree with you there. It's not really her fault. Like I think she is a solid actress, but I just, this, this part was not written very well for her. Yeah. Side note too. This is a beautiful movie. Like the CGI is pretty solid and we've, we've been like talking about this for most of it, all yeah. of phase four. Yeah. Solid CGI, but there were, there were a few parts that stuck out to me as like, oh, that looked weird. And they were almost all related to Cassie Lang. I'm not sure why that is. But mm. to me, there were like she was just making like movements and stuff that just didn't look natural. Like the one that stuck out to me was when they get to the quantum realm. She's got um, Scott Lang. Scott Lang is basically protecting her. He's getting giant. She, oh, yeah. He like up and she like does this movement where she like hits oh yeah hits the button and it just looked goofy and i was like oh that okay that was that was really weird i think that was cgi though was it that was just that was cgi with on ant-man yeah yeah i don't know it just looked it looked wonky to me and there were a couple of other moments too like when she eventually you know got her suit Mm -hmm. and got big and stuff like that that her CGI just looked a little different. And I don't know if that was her movements or like what made it look wonky to me, but there were a couple things that I was just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> it distracted me just slightly ever so slightly, not like egregiously just like, okay, 
that was weird. You noticed it enough. I noticed it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one one thing I wanted to talk about too was that the MCU. Um, so Emma Furman is the actress that played Cassie Lang in Endgame. Apparently, this is this is like an article that I read. So I don't know what the truth is to this, but apparently she found out that she wasn't playing Ant-Man by Marvel announcing that Catherine Newton was playing Ant-Man or Cassie Lang in, in this third movie. So they did not tell her at all. I thought that was, if that's true, I was like, dang Marvel. Like I thought she was good in Endgame. Like I thought I really liked her in Endgame. So I don't, I'm not sure why I'm not sure why they like decided to pivot from, from her as, as, Cassie Lang, but that's just a weird, weird decision. Yeah. Again, I don't think she did terrible. This script and let's go into the script right now. So you mentioned Jeff Loveness. Um, He's a writer of what we, I mean, we knew that he was a Rick and Morty uh, writer had written a bunch of episodes for that pretty prominent, like writer in Hollywood. He's written a ton of, you know, TV shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. And significantly um, that I was talking about on the pre-show with Robbie He's written 238 episodes of Jimmy Kimmel Live. Like this dude is like he's experienced. He he's been around. The guy knows how to write. He knows how to write exactly. And his episodes on Rick and Morty are written really well. Like he does a really great job of of writing in those episodes. So the sci-fi portion, I think, is solid. Hopefully, in contribution, you know, his contributions to to this film. But yeah, again, I I think there was. There were some things about this script, which Max also mentioned in his review, that just, I don't know, it felt like almost a shell of a good movie. Like, yeah. the bare bones of a good movie are there, but it just really didn't live up to what he wanted it to be, maybe. I'm not really sure, but what did you think of the script in this movie? I would agree. Uh, like, we already talked about it a little bit. There's just there's just one liners and I don't know if it's scripts or if it's the director. I don't know who to blame here. Cause like you could say it's the writing, which is weird in some spots, but then you could also say it's the direction because the director decided to leave some of those spots in. Cause there's just like, there's very tense scenes like either with Kang or with Modoc or with Scott Lang and Cassie. And you're just like, this is a tense scene. And then there's like some weird one liner, which isn't, abnormal for marvel that's a that's a pretty normal thing but it's the delivery that matters Mm -hmm. so like is it the writing or is it the directing i don't know who i don't know who to blame in in this and i was thinking about that while i was driving home from the movie i was like like is it the writing or is it the directing i don't i don't know i wish i could give you a a more clear answer but it's just maybe it's both both are both is the right answer both failed in in different spots Right. It probably is is safer to say both because it's hard to blame one or the other when we don't know kind of what is going on behind the scenes and stuff like that. But but yeah, I I definitely think there was it felt like I don't know, like when it got to the end of the movie, I kind of was just like, so that's it. I will say and this is this is writing and directing. And this is this is why both is the right answer. I hated the monologues. The Scott Lang monologue at the beginning and the end, I hated. <laughs> that that was that was so ridiculous to me. I didn't like that at all. And maybe I'm I don't know if people liked it or not, but it just it just like this is a Marvel movie, but they made it like start and end like a rom com. Yeah. 
like this is a big important Marvel movie with who's supposed to be the next Thanos and Kang and he's supposed to be like the next scary guy and this is how we start and end it I just that that didn't yeah. mesh well for me and it started the movie weird for me now I will give him credit like at the beginning they then went like oh he's just reading his book which I could accept more but then they did it at the end still so he was still monologuing but he's not reading a book now now you're just monologuing the monologue so that that to me was that was a misstep. I that didn't hit for me. I I'm going to disagree with you there. I thought that was it. It encapsulated who Scott Lang is as a character. It was a perfect way to. It was a perfect way for him to be a part of this movie. Does it make the movie better? No, but it does enhance his character in this movie. I feel like just with the whole beginning part of him. Like kind of getting a big head, like doing his book, his all of his stuff like that. I thought that was perfect. Yeah. The end one, I will grant you, was a little bit more like, okay, why are we doing this again? Right. Like if they had just cut out that end one, I think that perf- that front, you know, scene with him, like kind of getting a big ego and mm-hmm. you know doing his book tour and his book readings, all that stuff, totally makes sense and really, really is who Ant-Man is, in my opinion. Well, and to go along with that, like, it kind of ties in, but, like, when they were all sitting at the table eating, like, lunch or supper or whatever it was, and they were trying to say that Scott just hasn't done enough, I was like, and Scott made the point, like, I saved the world. It's like, yeah, like, his whole family's, like, judging him for not doing anything right now because he wrote a book. (laughs) He decided to take a break because he got blipped for five years and hasn't been around. Yeah, and the the right. dude decided to take a break and write a book and we're going to bash him for it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's so yeah. stupid. Shut up. The dude helped <laughs> save the universe. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I'll grant that. That was a little like, a little excessive. It's like, dude, come His on. His teenage daughter is getting after him about not doing enough, which I mean, I suppose is a daughter thing, but then the rest of his family like went after him. Yeah, right. We've already been talking about uh, Paul Rudd. So let's just go into him. What did you think of Paul Rudd's performance in Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania? I mean, there's, it's Paul Rudd. Like Paul Rudd's going to play Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. And I don't have like, big expectations for what Paul Rudd's brings to the table. He does a good job in this role. He's a, he's a, it's a perfect role for him. Did I ever in a million years think we were going to get a trilogy for Ant-Man? No, (laughs) but here we are (laughs) before we even get a sequel for a Superman movie. We get a trilogy for (laughs) Ant-Man. We never got a sequel for Man of Steel. We never got a solo Ben Affleck Batman movie, but we got a freaking, but here we are in the Marvel side. Freaking Paul Rudd and Ant Man. <laughs> yeah, for real. Who who would have expected that when when Iron Man dropped and they started in a Marvel Gosh. Cinematic Universe? Just that is just wild to think about. <laughs> and in twelve years, you're gonna have three Ant Man movies. What? <laughs> what? No way. <laughs> yeah, for real. If you would have told me that twelve years ago, I'd been like, mm. this may not last. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I I think I'm with you. I, I absolutely adore Paul Rudd. He is just hilarious, and this role is perfect for him. Mm. I think it is due to again the script writing, but the first Ant Man was more emotional than this yeah. one. Like yeah. the first Ant Man movie seemed like there was higher stakes. 
than this one when literally a whole quantum realm is at risk when there's a right thousands i don't even know how many people are in the quantum realm like thousands tens of thousands hundred thousands millions i don't i don't know how many people are down there but like this whole quantum realm is at risk and i felt there were higher stakes in the ant-man movie when they were literally playing like fighting over a train set in Cassie's bedroom, which is freaking dope. It was dope. I know exactly. <laughs> like Ant-Man did a fantastic job of elevating the stakes, even though stakes weren't high. Now the stakes are high and it felt like there was something missing there. That's a solid, that's a solid point though. That's just that's not Paul Rudd's fault. Like he did exactly what we expected Paul Rudd to do, which was be funny and be a solid Ant-Man. But like there were so many great emotional beats in that first Ant-Man movie between him and Cassie specifically that they just couldn't replicate in this in this movie. Um, even though like he's trying to, you know, reestablish this connection with her, like there could have been more emotions in this movie. And yeah. I think they were trying to make it seem like this is a big impactful movie so they skipped some of those small emotional moments but that made it i don't know it it didn't bring me into the movie any more than the first ant-man did so yeah it's paul rudd's not the problem again he's he's he did great he's fine um yeah any any more comments on on that before we move on here nothing for paul paul just paul just shows up and does his job yeah the one that i've got the least to say about is Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne. Like she was fine. She she just doesn't she doesn't do anything for me. There's, she's just not there. right. She's like she's cool. She's, she's fine. fine but that's it. Like she didn't do terrible. She didn't do great. She's fine. She just doesn't stand out at all to me. Really, really doesn't. Yeah. Uh they made like some comments about her haircut. And that was like pretty much the whole significance of her character in this right, movie. Yeah, she there wasn't really a whole lot going on. <laughs> just and and she granted she is like i do like how they have her as like the cool badass counterpart to ant-man like she does a lot of the cool moves and she like saves his butt in a lot of different circumstances i like that relationship and how that works but i mean again she didn't really bring anything to the table besides that so it's kind of is it is what it is uh moving on to Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne and Michael Des- Douglas as Hank Pym. Let's just go ahead and talk about those guys together because I thought they were fantastic. And I don't know, like there's a lot of people on the Internet saying that they stole the show in the scenes that they were in. And I don't know if I would go that far. No. Like they did. They did. Fan- they did great. Like it was it was really awesome to see them in these roles again. Michael Douglas aged quite a bit. I was a little yeah. surprised. I was like, yeah, this dude looks real old. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they did great. I, it was a great performance for both of them. It was kind of cool to see the focus on Michelle Pfeiffer um, as Janet Van Dyne in this movie. Cause we, again, as they go through in the movie, she has not told them anything about the quantum realm. And she was being weirdly like, like, I don't understand why they're in the quantum realm and she's still not telling them anything about the quantum realm. Like they're, they're there. They can see what's going on. Like, why don't you just tell them? And then she finally tells them about Kang and it's like, Oh, okay. Well you could have just told them this like 20 minutes ago in the movie. You guys were walking in the weird forest. Why couldn't you just do that while you were walking? 
Exactly. She's so she's being so secretive about it. And then all of a sudden she just spills the beans when they're on the ship. And it's like, uh, <laughs> I don't understand why she had to be so secretive about the whole thing. But OK, cool. Both of them, like Michael Douglas, I think, did a really good job. I didn't I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I didn't think Michelle Pfeiffer did very good acting in this. Like her really? face and maybe it's just her face, but her face just stays the same the entire time. And she's like, she has these big things that she has to tell and won't tell. And that's the, that's part of writing. That's part of directing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I just didn't get much from her. Um, and maybe that's just me. I don't know. I just didn't think that she brought that much to the table when the story realistically surrounded her. And I felt like she needed to bring more to the table. Like she did like one little fight scene uh, with that, like alien that we didn't know, like when they first met that, that traveling pack of aliens. Yeah. The traveling crew or whatever. I was just like, okay. Like there wasn't like any dialogue between the two of them, which I (laughs) thought was weird. They just fought and then they fighting and then they went, ah, and they hugged. That was it. I was like, there's no dialogue. Like there should be some sort of like communication here, even if we can't understand that alien at the time, uh, which the the little like red goo things they drink was that great. That's a, totally can believe that I'm all for that. Classic Ant-Man. Like I feel like there was a lot of comedic great Ant-Man moments in this. And that, that was like perfect Ant-Man. But like I just why is there no dialogue in that moment? And then I don't know. It's just it just she just didn't it just didn't hit as much as it did for other people to me. I don't totally agree with you. I thought she like acted really well, but I think that is another script issue. Like they, they definitely wanted this to feel really big and important and it just didn't. Yeah. And her, she's a part of that. Not necessarily again, her acting, but like for some reason she just, her character is not written as well as I would have liked it to. And that that was a big thing for me. I was like, um, this makes zero sense why you're keeping all of these these secrets. Right. When they're literally experiencing stuff, it's happening. And she's like, shut up and follow me. And like, what? Okay. This could just walk and talk about it. Why is that so hard? You you could have just said, there's a bad guy down here that's trying to kill me. That's all you had to say. You don't even have to say Kang. I helped him create his ship or fix his ship. (laughs) And then I realized he was evil. And then I destroyed it. <laughs> oh, there you go. You there, summarize it. Like, there it is. <laughs> like you could have done that. I'm sure you guys were walking for a very long time. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Plenty of time to, to could recap have, that. Could have filled that in. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think, I think that was due to script script issue once again. And Man, I feel like we're ripping on the script in this, but really that's what it comes down to is it that does. like right. this had the makings of a good movie and it could have been so much better if the script had been better. Yeah. Like it just, I don't know. It it didn't measure up to what we what we thought it could be. Um yeah, so anyways, they they get to this person that she says knows everything. Yeah. And big shocker, it's Bill Murray, Lord Krylar. And you mentioned in the pre-show, Robbie, that you thought this was almost like a wasted uh, spot. Like, what did you think of Bill Murray in this? He He's playing the Jeff Goldblum, like random, like older celebrity role. But like, <laughs> it's just like, what is Bill Murray doing in this? This could have been anybody. 
Like it's yeah. Bill Murray just because Marvel wants to be like, hey, we got Bill Murray, cross him off the list. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It was like it was fine, and I thought he was funny. Yeah. It was just like you just think about it. It's like Bill Murray was in this movie for a whole like three minutes. <laughs> And they made it. I don't know. I feel like, and it wasn't. It wasn't a Marvel thing. Like they never hyped him or anything. They no. did announce that he was in it, but yeah. that's about it. But I feel like there was so much hype to that when it was announced, and then just to get like a two minute scene and then he dies is <laughs> like, yeah, okay. That that seemed a little unnecessary. But I will say, he plays a perfect sleaze bag. Like oh, yeah, absolutely. He's a great sleazebag character, and Bill Murray kind of fits the bill, honestly. Yes, it's, it's fine, yeah. Yeah, there it is. I can't wait for the next old actor to randomly be like, Al Pacino's going to be in one of these movies. <laughs> Al Pacino. Just randomly, oh for no reason, just playing a two-minute character. It's going to be great. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You never know. <laughs> you never know who it's going to be. Personally, I would say Jeff Goldblum's character is oh, way Excellent. more creative and and fits way better in Ragnarok than yeah Bill Murray did in this but oh yeah <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is perfect for that character she, she, like you said it could have been literally anybody and we wouldn't have cared right but they were like all right Bill Murray let's uh let's maybe write this part for you just because we got you in this movie that's what it Bill felt Murray. like yeah right <laughs> and it was like okay alrighty then uh <laughs> so yeah that was a very interesting uh, part of this, but I want to move on to another villain character because technically R- Lord Krylar turned out to be a bad guy. Before before we get to uh, the guy who was not named until like minute fifty of the movie, um, I want to I, I really want to give a shout out to Caddy Ka- Katie Katie M O'Brien who played Gentora, who was like yes. the, the chick yeah. that led that rebellion. That character was awesome, and whatever the heck she her was cool. staff was, was freaking cool. And I want more of her. Bring her like to Earth, because I'm I'm all in on her character. Honestly, that was a fun crew. Like it was fun. Like the the character I'm forgetting his name now. Who um, uh, Quaz? Who could read? Yeah, Quaz. Who Quaz, could yeah. read minds? That was a fun little like. Nah, nah, they're not telling the truth. They're so yeah, it's Quaz, Exilum, and Veb. And Gentora. Veb. Oh, so yeah. So Desmalchin did play Veb. Okay. Yeah. And then Exolum was the guy with the big, like, laser head. Yeah, laser head. Yeah. Died. But that was, that was a fun little, like, misfit group of, of people to be, like, side characters. That was that was a really fun part of it. That was one of the bright, like, big bright spots of this movie. And, like, the ships that are also houses that are also aliens, like. <laughs> that was creative. That was awesome. I love that. Okay. <laughs> One thing that they did really well is the quantum realm is a pretty fantastic setting. Like yeah. I, I, I pretty much loved everything about the quantum realm. It's, it was beautiful. Like they, it was very creative and I feel like they're, they're kind of falling into a rut almost of being doing the Marvel things, bringing in Marvel characters, blah, 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 blah. This yeah. was a nice little, like, I mean, you mentioned it. It was like almost like a little sci-fi shot into the MCU. Um, we saw all these different looking characters and they didn't even like go into that. They're just background characters, but yeah, like just they had like the dudes with like the crystal heads in that like crew. And I saw those and I was like, Oh, those are cool. Are they going to explain that? No, no, they're no, just a part of the background, right. just a part of the background. And then the buildings moving and being like alive. <laughs> and then they made a, a comment to Ant-Man like, what your buildings are dead. Oh yeah. It was Veb. He's like, your buildings, your buildings are dead. 
Like that yeah. guy, I love them. <laughs> yeah, that I was that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great line at the end of that. But yeah, just that was that was part of the fun, goofy, weird Ant Man vibe that I thought was fantastic in this. Um, just yeah, a lot of a lot of a fun out of those like side characters for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah, and then the next actually, so we're talking fun, wacky, goofy. Let's talk about Modoc because oh gosh, yeah. Modoc was a just the, he was one of the weirdest parts of this movie, right? Like yeah. he's just so odd, and I thought it worked really well. Actually, I I really enjoyed. So Corey Stoll, uh, who plays Darren Cross in the first Ant Man movie, comes back, reprises his role as Darren, who becomes Modoc in this, and it is just super weird. It's super like I don't even know how else to really describe it. Like it's kind of funny in an Ant-Man way. We bash on CGI and Marvel so much. And I feel like they did a really good job for the most part of CGI in this movie, but he looked just his face looked so bad. It looked like there was it, it looked like there was no depth to it. You know, it just looked like it looked like it looked like it was put on a green screen and they stretched it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that I, I will I will say that yeah, it did like if they had made it look more realistic and here's where i go this maybe maybe it's not my fault or or you know the animator's fault but like this is another kind of weird uncanny valley experience yeah it could be for me anyways but you see modok you see his face and you're just like this like this doesn't compute in my brain yeah and i don't know if it was the cgi that just didn't look good or if it was like oh this is just too weird to look out it's a giant floating head like, I just don't know what to make of this. And part of me is like, that's perfect because Modoc is supposed to be this crazy, weird looking, goofy villain that you aren't really supposed to take seriously. Yep. Um, so part of me was like, OK, I can roll with that. And he actually looked pretty cool when he had his like battle mask on. That was like, oh, sweet. OK, I can roll with this. Just leave the mask on. Like, yeah, like, like any like, th- OK, that was this goes to the entire movie. They just hate anyone wearing a mask. Anyone <laughs> yeah. wearing their helmet, any chance they have, they're like, helmet's off, helmet's off. One specific moment that is between Mondok and Cassie Lang when they're facing off, he, he's driving her to a cliff. She falls off the cliff, climbs back up, yeah. and they're confronting each other, and they take their masks off to talk to each other. And I was like, Why? Why, why are we doing this right now? Like, that makes absolutely zero sense. They're about to battle, and they take their masks off. Kane kept doing it. Like, everyone in this movie was like, no, 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 no. We don't wear masks. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. A little, a little less flip-flopping on the masks. Come right. on, wear your masks. Where, where's the freaking mask? Goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, that part specifically. Like, Kang... Yeah, I think he did do more flip-flopping than he need to, but I, I like Jonathan Majors. We'll talk about him in a bit. Yeah. I like Jonathan Majors enough to where I'm fine with him not wearing the mask at well, all. His like, isn't he as big of a deal because it's just like blue and not blue. Right. Like, yeah. I him I wasn't super concerned about, but like that moment, I was like, come on. It's just like, everyone. I get that it's a superhero mask. movie. I get that you're that you want to see their facial expressions and stuff, but like write a better script so it makes sense that you or or that there's emotions behind it, even though you can't see their facial expressions. Like right. I that part to me was just like, oh come on. Like don't don't unmask right when you're about to fight. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, that part was 
No, but like you said, I I enjoyed Modok when we first got Modok, and he was just tearing through uh, that little town that they had. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, cool. Modok is a beast, and I feel like they didn't they didn't let him go off the rest of the movie. Like, yeah, because he was going off and destroying everything in that part, and then the rest of the movie he just chased people, and then he becomes a classic Marvel villain, and they kill him off. I so uh, so we we hit on the writing a little bit and. This one I did. I'm letting slide, but like the "don't be a dick" joke, I thought that I thought that was funny. I did think that I was, funny. was funny. I think there's going to yeah. be people that are going to say like that was stupid, like that's stupid. It was Marvel goofy. Like, it was, was wonky. Like, that's kind of funny. Like, like he, it was just not be a dick. It was it's never not too late to not be a dick. Like I thought that was that was fine to me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought it, it was funny. It was funny, but for him to be literally a mental organism designed only for killing. And then he just, she says, don't be a dick. And he's just like, oh, I'm not going to be a dick. Like, okay, that was a little bit like on the nose, like character turn. Like, you know, again, if if under the right circumstances, you write a better script, I'll believe it. But it it wasn't like it just the turn was like. Eh, We also but it it was funny, though. I will give you that. We also got to see some MODOK butt. Some weird Modoc butt. <laughs> yeah, some weird. They like Modoc dragged butt. him out of the goon. Like you just see his little Modoc butt. And you're just like little, what little baby happening? butt, you know little baby legs, baby arms. <laughs> <laughs> the baby legs joke was fantastic. Baby legs. You know, baby legs. Oh, I don't God. have baby legs. <laughs> that was classic, classic Rick and Morty. Oh gosh, yeah, that was that was great. Um, but yeah, and that interact, the initial interaction between Modoc and Ant Man and Cassie in the cells. Fantastic. I absolutely loved that portion of him. Yeah, CGI might have been a little wonky with the facial thing. Yeah. But like I absolutely loved how they just made him this goofy, wonky character. Like, how how can you take this guy seriously? You can't. You can't. So you need to make him a goofy, weird character. And he was. But last thing I want to touch on Modoc though, the death scene, super weird. Super weird. And in the middle of them, like just kind of beating jonathan majors kang for the first time they just go over to him and there's like a whole like two minutes of them talking to yeah, him right while he dies and like, <laughs> like throws up on them like what are we like <laughs> what the hell are we doing that was i know that part was like what what is going on here and the, just the goofiness of him like plastering his face inside kang's shield to defeat him like yeah i was just like okay this is a weird movie and I can appreciate weird. Like they definitely took some liberties with this to make it a funny, weird movie. But like, how can you take Kang seriously when that happens to him? Yeah. Like Modoc, that's something Modoc would do. And that's fine. Like, I, I think that's, that's believable. But when Kang gets defeated, Kang, this guy who can literally control space and time gets defeated by this, floating head and who ants. just like puts and ants puts his face in the shield that he's making. It's just like, Oh man, I don't know. I don't know about that. But yeah, then the two minute test, he was just like, what is happening right now? I don't, I don't, it was funny. It was funny. The but, little Avengers bit I thought was funny, but that was about it. But then like they that, did the yeah. whole like throwing up on everyone thing. Yeah. That was just, just weird. It's, you could have just walked over there and goes like, am I an Avenger now? And just go, 
yeah, but you're an Avenger. But no, they decided to do like the whole like you're a brother to me, and then he like touches his face, <laughs> and like they let that linger for like 15 seconds. You're like, why are so we doing weird. this? I mean, I did I laugh? Sure, but it was super weird. <laughs> it was super weird. It's just wrong moment for me. Right. And, and I think that that was kind of scattered throughout the script was that they just had they had funny moments that they forced into the script. Were they funny money moments? Sure. But come on, like write a better script so that they come up a little bit more naturally than literally just like, I'm dying. OK, I'm an Avenger. OK, uh, you're a brother to me. OK. Yeah. And then it's done. Like uh, just overall, I was OK with Modoc. I, I thought he was funny. Thought they handled them pretty well. But mm-hmm. yeah, there were some weird parts with that. Weird. I think weird is my word for this movie. It's a weird it's a movie. weird sci-fi film that wanted wanted to be bigger than it was, I feel like. Yeah, that's a that's a good summary right there. All right. Last and most important character that we got to talk about is Kang. Jonathan Majors. Fantastic. I mean, we we saw him as he who remains in Loki. And we're going to get to that post credit scene shortly. But he steals the show for me in every scene that he's in. Yeah. There was one, there was, again, we're, we're harping on it again, but the script did him no favors. In my opinion, I I think he was himself menacing and he acted his butt off Jonathan majors is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the MCU. I said, Jonathan majors. I didn't say Kang Kang will be, but Jonathan majors is the guy that I'm like on board for Jonathan majors, Jonathan majors, Jonathan, Jonathan majors. I love that guy. Before we get to your thoughts, Robbie, I want to say that the trailers that we got prior to quantum mania showed us the scariest parts of Kang thing showed us the scariest parts of Kang. And I think that's a problem. We saw that he was menacing, that he was threatening, that he was scary in those trailers. But when we got to the movie, that was the scariest part of Kang. Yeah. And I wanted more scary Kang. I want more menacing, like threatening. I am going to destroy your multiverse Kang. And we did not really get that. And I am a little sad about that. And that's not, again, that's not Jonathan Major's fault. Like he acted his butt off in this. Um, this is a, a writing issue. This is a trailer issue, by the way, as well, because we've talked about this on our podcast multiple times. Trailers show way too much now. Yeah. If we had not seen that trailer, I met have been more excited about seeing the menacing, scary Kang in that scene. But we saw the whole thing. We saw the whole scary Kang in one trailer. And this is why Scott Higa doesn't watch trailers. <laughs> this is why he I doesn't. mean, good for him, but not even that. Just like the trailers pumped Kang more than anything. Yeah, and right. Kang wasn't a big part of this movie until the halfway point. They didn't even say his name, like I mentioned earlier, until what? Probably minute fifty or so. Right. I think that's a. I think that's a huge problem. Like this is the guy that you have been marketing. And should be marketing and is the reason that this movie is even happening. And you don't even say Kang until wave like halfway through the movie. It just, it didn't make sense because I said in my review on, on TikTok that like this movie actually needed more Kang. Like I would have done for a lot more mm-hmm. Kang because this is the Kang that they, 
and we're just going diving into Kang now, but this is the Kang that the other Kangs were afraid of. Right? Exactly. And, and, and he's banished like, him to the quantum realm. Him. So like, he couldn't like this guy mess with are, the timeline. The Kangs are scared of this guy. And I wanted to see more of that. Because you see, like, when he's first toying with like Ant-Man, uh, when they first interact and he just like flicks them around and like controls them and everything. Why doesn't he do that at the end? Yeah. And why is Modok able to take down his shield with a bunch of ants? Because he is like the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy we're supposed to be scared of. I wasn't scared of him in that last scene. Right. And like, because you get the like the big like his anger scenes, which are incredible. Immediately prior to that, where he's mowing down people with his lasers. That's scary Kang. That's the Kang that I wanted. Give me more of that. Yeah. And then Ant-Man and the Ant crew show up and he's immediately like, I'm not going to kill anybody else. Right. For some reason. Right. Why couldn't he just blow through all of them? Yeah. That makes zero sense to me. And and it was a disservice to Jonathan Majors as Kang in this, unfortunately. Um, I still think he's going to be fantastic. Oh, yeah. But why not have like Kang destroy all those ants and then he's like worn out or something. And then right. Ant-Man fights him and it's like a battle. Right. But, like, yeah. Like you're going to show me show him like getting dragged away by these ants. And then seemingly kills them off screen because he gets away. And then then he's battle damaged and fights Ant-Man because that's that makes sense. That fight made sense. King like had the fight of his life and had to get through all those ants or whatever. Why not? Why didn't you show us? Why not show us that? And also just kill somebody. If you had killed Michael Douglas yes. or right. Michelle Pfeiffer or even Scott kill somebody then we know you're serious but no he can't kill anybody hank shows up as hank like he's just a guy standing there he doesn't even have a suit on or nothing he's just a guy with an earpiece that controls ants and he could have blasted him in a second and killed him this is my issue with marvel we keep coming to these movies thinking that the stakes are going to be big and they're they're never big they were big, obviously, for Endgame and Infinity War, obviously. But outside of that, most of the solo movies don't have big stakes. Nothing major happens. Yeah. Like, kill somebody. Like, I know these are more for kids. And I understand, like, you got to bring that to it. Like, these are for kids. These Marvel movies are for teenagers and, like, kids, mostly. Probably. Kind of. So, but, like you're still making this universe. People can die in this universe. Yeah. Like it's, it's not just Iron Man. It's not just the first Gamora, like brought back another Gamora. It's not just black widow. Like other people that we actually care about can die. Like wasn't like Quicksilver, like the first person they killed and no one, no one gave a damn because it's freaking Quicksilver. No, like, <laughs> no one gave a rip because they literally introduced him in that movie and then he died. In that movie. Kill Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Jeanette, would have been perfect to die in this because yeah. of all the secrets she was keeping and like how she was like she was the villain. You just wanted her to die because you didn't like her in this movie. Well, no, I but it. I mean you said you said Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas could have either one could have Hank died. Pym. Like right, yeah. like Hank Pym or even Scott. I mean, I don't know if it, you were on that pod. Max and somebody else mentioned on a on a pre-quantumania podcast, kill Scott Lang. 
Because then we know Kang is serious. Then we know he is a force to be reckoned with. Thanos came in and kicked the crap out of the Hulk. Yeah. He killed a bunch of people right away. Like, you need to do that with Kang. And they didn't in this movie. They, 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 sure, they made him like semi threatening, semi menacing. I'm excited for Jonathan Majors, but they really fumbled the ball with making him the bad guy better, you know, than Thanos. Because Thanos is a pretty, like, Thanos was a great, great, great villain. Don't get me wrong. Um, But he was a one track. I'm doing this to help humanity. One track mind. Like, you know what he's doing. You know what he's thinking. We don't know what Kang is thinking. He's. He's an interesting character because we have no idea what the heck is in his mind. And we don't know what he's going to do next. So he should be a more menacing, more threatening character than Thanos. And that just that didn't come across. He kept talking about how he killed all these other Avengers. It's like, then show us. Yeah. Like, why Why yeah, couldn't right. they, when they showed like him in his past battle scenes that uh, Janet Van Dyne had seen, why couldn't they get rdj and chris evans to come back and put them put them in like legit as classic as you can get like marvel uniforms that would never actually like go look good in a movie but put them in those put like that would would that not have been a great opportunity to introduce wolverine in one of those like throw wolverine in there like and just have king mowing them over like it's a two-second thing like you could have like right then been like holy crap, this guy's for real, and then have him kill Scott Lang. Right. And, like, I mean, not even to mention, like, earlier in the film when we saw Michelle Pfeiffer's character touch Kang's chair and she saw what all the things that he had done yeah, on that's who what, he that's was. Saying, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been a perfect moment for them to insert a bunch of moments like that. Exactly. Like, just missed opportunities. Yeah, missed like, opportunities. why not show – he keeps talking about he's – Oh, they all run together after he's killed so many. Well, show us. Show us him killing Iron Man. Here's a problem in this is a, a filmmaking rule. Show me, don't tell me. Right. That's like a common filmmaking rule. Like the film is better if you can show the audience what you're trying to get across instead of just telling them and hitting them on the head with what you're trying to tell them. King's bad. King's strong. King can defeat the Avengers. You keep telling me that, but you're not showing exactly. Me and I think this is a, this is, this is a little bit of a problem with the Ant-Man movies specifically, because they made a point of telling us was a major theme in the first Ant-Man. And that's mm-hmm. why it kind of flip flopped and people enjoyed that. Like we had Lewis, like giving us recaps of things oh, yeah, yeah. and it was funny. It was really funny. But now they've fallen into this rut of just telling us what's happening in these Ant-Man movies without showing us what is really happening. Like we want to know what's happening without you, without Paul Rudd making a monologue about what's happening. Like we want to know what's happening in Kang's head. We want to know what he's done. Just show us, just show us. I think you made a great point of, of that. I think that would be, Fantastic would have been a way better way to show us how bad he is. And we just didn't get that. Jonathan Majors was the star of this movie and we, we wanted more and we're going to get more like that. Like 
you will look back on this and be like, oh, we got plenty of of him. But like, yeah, I feel like we should have started off with more in this movie. Show like show him as the threat he is, like killing somebody. Show him killing Scott Lang and then casting take over. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that would have been. Gosh, that would have been awesome. He killed Scott Lang. Everybody would have been so mad that they killed Paul Rudd, though. Oh, for sure. But this movie, but this movie would have been better. It would have been better. Exactly. You got it. You got it. Um, but yeah, anyways, Jonathan Major Majors, fantastic. Uh, very excited for his future as Kang. Oh, yeah. A little bit of a slip up um with, with his introduction uh for Marvel, unfortunately. Second so, introduction. Yeah. Yeah, second introduction. Our first one was like, so you know, it's Kang. Kang. Right. Back in like phase whatever, probably back even to phase one and two, they had Thanos sprinkled in a lot of these movies, like in the post credit scenes. We had, I mean, comic book fans knew who he was, but like if you're a casual moviegoer and you're seeing these movies and these characters for the first time, you had no idea who that guy was. Like he was in a post credit scene, he just turned around and smiled. Like, that was amazing. It means nothing. Yeah. But then the next one, he's like, I guess I'll do it myself. And he grabs the gauntlet. And then 12 films, and then 12 films later, he finally does something. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> to the casual movie fan, that means nothing because they have no idea who this guy is. Yeah. To us, like comic book fans, it's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But like you kind of if you were gonna if you were gonna be subtle about it, which this movie was not subtle and it didn't have to be like this is this is the introduction real introduction of kang so it didn't have to be subtle but if you were going to be subtle that was the way you should have done it introduce this character little by little show us what he can do make us scared of him for no reason really because we were scared of thanos because we had no idea what the heck was going on with him we didn't know like what was going on like I think the buildup is a big problem in this movie. We didn't get much buildup besides he who remains, which was fine because he's a variant and he's not really this, this Kang. It just gives us Kang and is like, here you go. Here's the bad guy. And you know, he's the bad guy and you know, like everything about him except for, how bad he really is. And it doesn't right. even really go into that detail. And even this movie couldn't just could not resist killing the bad guy. Now, now is he, is he dead? Like that was the thing. Scott was like, is he actually dead? Like, and maybe this King isn't, maybe this King does come back, but like you still in this movie, you killed him again. You, the big bad that was like supposed to be really evil. You killed him. Now, obviously we can, we could probably start getting to the post credit scenes. We see that there's, thousands of kings and for some reason I, I that scene is cool because you know there's a bunch of kings but at the same time i was like why are they all acting like psychopaths <laughs> i was hilarious okay, I, just didn't so, get yeah. it. I was like why are they doing that that is a basically shot for shot panel of a comic that they're referencing of the council of kings right right I'm not sure why they had to make it like there's like a bunch of psychopaths yelling yeah, and going screaming. Crazy. In like what? Are, like I feel like any variation of Kang wouldn't like cheer like a fan at a football game. <laughs> yeah, for real. Apparently, there's some real idiotic th- Kangs out there, and which, which actually would be know. a great bit if there's like really dumb Kangs. 
I'd be I'm all I'm all in for the dumb kings. <laughs> I that was really weird. I mean the Council of Kings is cool. So we get like these three main kings who are like the the leaders of Kang or councils of Kang or whatever you want to say. And they're like telling us that they banish Kang, blah 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 blah. Yeah. They say that he's dead. Right. Paul Paul Rudd Ant Man thinks he's dead until that po- like the very the wrap up scene where he's like, Is he dead? I don't know. Here's how I took that because he gets sucked into like the multiverse thing. I'm taking that as that is the King, the conqueror. That's the actual King that we need to be worried about. And I, I am assuming he comes back much more powerful. Yes. Cause that, that that's the only way. Cause this is the one that is the conqueror one, right? Cause like they're all King, but do they all go by King, the conqueror? I don't cause like, I don't, I don't know enough about King. Yeah. Right. You're, you got made a good point there. Like this variant specifically, the one that was in the quantum realm that this whole movie is focused on King, the conqueror. He specifically is the bad guy. King. All of the Kings are like, that guy is the worst. <laughs> that we guy banished him there. Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's the worst. We banished him there. So we couldn't do any more damage because he was the one screwing up all of their multiverses. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Kang does a little bit of a monologue here um, at the, towards the end of the movie. He's like saying that he was fixing the multiverses. Yeah. Which, I mean, we, we, we know, right. We know from (laughs) Loki that he who remains is scared of this Kang. Uh, We know that there, that there are plenty of timelines that potentially if, out of control could collide with each other. And that, that goes into the comics of like incursions. Incursions are actually mentioned in the beginning of this movie, like multiverses colliding, all that stuff. Kang thinks he is fixing these multiverses, incursions, all of that stuff. I think you're onto something though. I think that Kang, Kang the Conqueror is not dead. He definitely is going to come back more powerful, more strong, more of a force, which he should have been in this movie in the first place. Like they, they made him out to be that, but then he got defeated by a floating head and a bunch of ants. Yeah. And Ant-Man, the not exactly the strongest Avenger. (laughs) No, not exactly. So yeah, it just, I, I I did like that credit post credit scene. It showed us a, it tried to show us again that Kang is a force to be reckoned with, but there was one other thing that they mentioned in that post-credit scene that was very interesting. They said that they took care of them, meaning the Avengers took care of that Kang. Yeah. And then they were like, they are a force to be reckoned with. Like right. speaking of the Avengers. So the council of Kangs is going to play an interesting part moving forward in the MCU. Are yep. they going to intervene and try to take down earth? 616, uh, the main, like, you know, MCU continuity, all that stuff. Who knows? Uh, I thought that was a cool little sprinkle in there. It's like, oh, okay. Not only are they worried about Kang, but they're also worried about the Avengers now and Ant Man specifically, apparently. Yeah, because they're starting like to touch said, the multiverse. So they're like, touch the multiverse. Don't, yeah. They don't want anyone else to touch the multiverse. So they're going to, they're going to start going a little harder now. For those of you guys who are not big comics guys, King is a time traveling dude. So all of these Kangs probably know something about the Earth 
616 that is starting to dabble in all of these other multiverses with, you know, multiverse of madness, um, you know, some of these other um, Loki and some of these other things like they know a little bit about that earth, I'm guessing. Right. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens moving forward with Council of Kings. Kang's coming back, though. I mean, Kang's going to be the big bad guy. He just got sucked into that, like, you know, portal the or whatever. Multiverse gonna, engine. Multiversal engine. There's no way that doesn't, like, make him even scarier. No. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's going to come back bigger, badder, and stronger. Second post-credit scene is very interesting. Yeah. So we got Jonathan Majors once again as Kang. They don't say King. They give him a name. I don't even remember. What's his actual name? It's a timely. It's a, oh gosh, something timely. I can't remember exactly what it is. Yeah. Anyways, they show him on stage. He's presenting this project thingy. Pans to the audience and we get Loki and Mobius Mm -hmm. in the audience. Loki knows that Kang is a bad dude and he's Scared. Tom Hiddleston sold more in this minute clip of him than almost anybody in this whole film. If I'm being completely Besides honest, Jonathan Majors, Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Jonathan Majors did fantastic. Wow. Tom Hiddleston looks terrified and I cannot wait for Loki season two because of this post second or post credit scene. Mm-hmm. Mobius turns to him and he's like, how is he really that bad? He doesn't look that bad, basically. And Loki is like, oh, he's bad. He's real bad. So that th- what that made me think was that Loki, we've seen some stuff between Loki season one and this point. Loki has explored the multiverse a little bit more, and he sees how bad Kang is. And now we get to this point. And I don't know what the heck Loki and and Mobius are doing if they're exploring pruning multiverses or what the heck they're probably trying to find the first. That's probably the first King because King's original name is I had to look it up. His name Nathaniel Richards. I don't know if they're going to go by that in the MCU. But like here's the thing though, like this this King this is in like it looks like it's set in like 20s 30s like old timey. Yeah, Nathaniel Richards' original King is like. 40th century he's a descendant of um reed richards like so he's like from the future so this has got to be a future dude that came back to this time for whatever reason not really sure the context of that but potentially we don't we don't know that for sure the mc might you're right we don't know that like this could be the first king yeah maybe could be because he is he is working on some sort of like time machine thing this could be the king that like cracks the code and uh, splits them. Yeah. And, and the, the weird history of Kang being a descendant of, of Reed Richards and somehow Dr. Doom is mixed in there somewhere. Like it's a real weird, complicated history. So it wouldn't shock me, honestly, if they just totally scrapped that whole backstory and were like, all right, this is MCU Kang. He's different, and this is his origin story or whatever. So that would be interesting. I'd be actually okay with that because, yeah, it is a little confusing when you get into the the comic book side of things. So, but Tom Hiddleston, man, that dude, like, he is the reason that Loki, the show, was even made. Number so, one, yeah. and number two is 
top three Marvel shows out there right now. I mean, I th- I think I'm trying to think. I think it's my number two show. Uh, but yeah, it's I don't remember my ranking on them, but I, it's definitely yeah, top. Three. It's, it's fantastic. Cannot wait. To, and this has got to mean that Kang is going to be in Loki season two. Like he was revealed at the very end of season one as like, I imagine guy. it's mostly going to, I imagine that it's mostly going to go around the Kang universe. Like he's going to go around trying to find Kangs right. and figure out what they need to do. Cause like, obviously everything moving forward is going to lead us to Kang related stuff. Right. Cause we got Kang dynasty. Yeah. Well, and like, so in the scene, he is obviously looking for Kang. Like that's the reason he's there is he's looking for Kang, but he's also terrified of seeing Kang there. So it'll be really interesting to see like what the context of that clip is. And I hope they go into that in Loki season two, but that'll be really interesting to see um, where that heads. So man, talked a lot about quantum mania, Robbie. Got any other uh, quick comments to make before we close up shop here? No, I just continue to think that we could have wrote a better script. I <laughs> am on board with that. I think you are correct. Last thing I want to talk about is the Rotten Tomato score. Uh, it currently has 48%. It is rotten. 252 reviews. Does this movie deserve that bad of a score? So the 48% would make it the second lowest rated Marvel movie ever. Uh, Eternals is at 47. So it's right there. Uh, We talked about this a little bit pre-show. So get some Patreon and you can, you can get all this information earlier. Um, But this is, this is not, I would not say this is a, one of the worst five movies in the MCU. I think there's five movies that I would for sure put above this. It doesn't deserve this bad of a score. I think we I think this is a combination of we've been saying it for years now, I feel like, but the, the superhero fatigue and maybe it's just Marvel fatigue um, and maybe that's critics are starting to turn on Marvel. I, I, I don't know, because for the longest time it was critics like Marvel could do no wrong because like what Thor two has like an 85 or something like that. And we all There's agree like that movie high scores, right? like <laughs> ridiculously high scores for movies that we're all like. Like this movie was fine, but it's not that it's good. Up to recently too, because Miss Marvel, which among the Infinity Bros is almost unanimously the worst. Oh Marvel yeah, easily. TV show got a ninety-eight percent with critics yeah. on Rotten Tomato, which uh, is baffling. I don't understand how that happened. Right. But this score is also baffling, in my opinion. I don't think it's that bad. I don't. I just don't see how you can give it this bad of a score when there's other, like you said, there's at least five. I think I, my quick ranking, I think I had it pretty middle of the road, like in the middle of the Marvel movies. Basically. I like this better than Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, for sure. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like I would mention this, this is Ant-Man and the Wasp is a snore fest to me. That movie does nothing for me. Like I, 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 I would have to figure, I would have to reorder everything. I don't know if I think this is better than the first Ant-Man. And I'm not a huge fan of the first Ant-Man, but we, we talked about this uh, like as individuals earlier this week that I, the third act of the first Ant-Man movie is one of my favorite third act fight scenes in all of the MCU. It's up there because I just, I thought that was the, one of the most creative 
fight scenes that they've ever done with Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man. Like, it was just super creative. I think it is in my top 15 Marvel movies, Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man. It, it is, like, it's very creative, and it's different than they did, like, any other movie in the MCU up to that point. But that movie, that movie's second act is the part of it that I hate, because it's like, it's like a training monologue, or whatever thing. And I yeah. just, I don't really, I didn't really enjoy it in that movie. It just felt like filler. Um, so that movie is kind of, that's why it's kind of in that middle to like upper teens area. It's, I just don't, I, I couldn't say where, where Quantumanium is right now, but there are, it, it should be in like, I would say the high sixties, low seventies would be a realistic Rotten Tomato score to me. Yeah. I definitely think that would be more believable than the 48% that is currently right sitting at right now. So anyways, let us know what you guys thought of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Twitch, YouTube, theinfinitybros.com, Discord, all of the things. Let us know what you guys thought of this movie Um, and let... Robbie or I know if we've got a hot take that you absolutely disagreed with, because that is what we are here for at the Infinity Bros podcast. Thank you so much, Robbie, for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Uh, really happy to have this Friday off. I'm so happy that I got to do just Ant-Man Quantumanium all day long. Yeah. And now it's 3.30 p.m. and you still have the rest of your day to figure out what the heck. I have to go do dishes and then clean because my mom's coming. So that's what I get to do the rest of my day. There you go. Much to look forward to in the life of Robbie Sauter. Yes. Anyways, thank you listener for making us a part of your podcast listening experience. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we appreciate you. Love you 2000. Have an amazing day, night or week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Infinity Bros Podcast. You can find the Infinity Bros on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Infinity Bros. Feel free to send listener feedback via email at infinitybrospodcast at gmail.com.